In addition to renewed weight loss plans, the new year also brings new minimum labor standards, including changes to the farm worker overtime threshold and the general minimum wages paid around New York. To talk about some of the changes and how they're being implemented, we're joined on the Capitol Press Room by State Labor Commissioner Roberta Reardon. Welcome back to the show, Commissioner, and thanks for joining us in the aftermath of some dental work. (laughs) Thank you so much. I apologize. My upper lip is not cooperating right now. Well, let's start with the minimum wage changes that uh, took effect in January as a result of uh, language in the budget adopted uh, in 2023. What are the new rates around New York for 2024? As of January 1st, the minimum wage increased to $16 an hour in New York City, Long Island and Westchester and $15 an hour in the rest of the state. And, you know, that will affect over one million workers in New York State who are currently earning less. Well, as of December 31st, we're earning less than the 2024 minimum wage threshold. So they just got a raise. Do you have a sense what industries or demographics are, are going to be most impacted by this? The minimum wage impacts more people than we think. We know that women are overrepresented in minimum wage jobs. And we know from our gender wage gap study that single mothers with families are overrepresented in this category. So when you raise the minimum wage, you are really impacting families directly. It's the usuals, you know, uh, hospitality, laborers, you know, those kinds of jobs. So you'd be surprised a lot of retail jobs are minimum wage, um, but you know, it's over a million people. So uh, it's, it has a great impact. Well, you mentioned, though, some fields like hospitality and delivery, where as the result of uh, high demand for workers, a lot of employers are already paying above minimum wage. So what do you see as the purpose of, I guess, artificially raising wages as opposed to letting the, the market dictate it, so to speak? So the minimum wage is really set as sort of a test for other industries to gauge their wages off of, to make sure that people aren't grossly underpaid. But the problem with the minimum wage in all the states in this country is that unless they're indexed, they always lag the market. And we're right now in a worker's market. That's great. Workers were able to say, if you want me, you're going to have to pay me more money. But when it's an employer's market, they can say, you must come to work for me and this is all I'm going to give you. So that leverage goes away periodically for workers. This is a way to ensure that all workers make at least a minimum standard. And, you know, by indexing them here in the state, we're going to make sure that every three years that minimum standard is looked at and compared to the CPI, the consumer price index, and it will be increased depending on what the CPI says. So this year it's $15 upstate, $16 downstate. Next year it will increase by 50 cents. And the following year it will also increase by 50 cents. That's until 2027. January 1st of 2027 the minimum wage will increase every three years. And that's based on a rate that's determined by the consumer price index. And that's the best regional measure for inflation. The same rate would apply statewide and the increase based off of the minimum wage in that area in 2026. So good news for workers, they're getting a raise this year, but starting in 2027, that minimum wage will be indexed to what the CPI says is going on in their economy. 
And the minimum wage has effects throughout the economy, in part because there are other uh, mandated thresholds or benefits tied to the general minimum wage. For example, uh, the threshold for who qualifies as a salaried employee is tied to the minimum wage. Are there other mandated thresholds or benefits tied to the general minimum wage that are, are changing as the result of the increase in 2024? That is a great question. And I know there are, but I don't know what they are off the top of my head. I can get them for you. But that's something that HR people you know, need to be cognizant of, right? Yep. Yep. They absolutely look at it. And of course, there are people that they'll go to their employer and say they're already making 16. So they'll be able to go to their employer and say, I was making above minimum wage. Now I'm at minimum wage. I need a raise. So it has it has the impact of push upwards, which is good. Because everybody's living with inflation, so money's not going as far as it used to. But, you know, the great thing about the this minimum wage, women, people of color, you know, they get to maintain their purchasing power in the face of rising costs. And that is really important. Another change for 2024 is a lower threshold for when farm workers are required to be paid overtime, which is the product of recommendations from a three-person wage board that laid out a pathway to set the threshold to eventually reaching 40 hours a week in 2032. What's the threshold now? Um, Well, last year it was still at 60. And beginning on January 1st, the threshold went down to 56 hours, and that will go down four hours every other year year until it reaches 40 hours in 2032. And again, this is really, really important. I think we've talked about this before. Agricultural mm-hmm. workers were one of the few groups of workers in the state of New York who, you know, before 2019 had no overtime available at all. They worked straight time all the way through. And that was grossly unfair. In 2019, Governor Cuomo at the time signed the farm laborers Wage Act. And that act had a number of provisions, including the right to organize, some housing provisions. And it also said that the overtime threshold would be set at 60 hours and called for a wage board to determine whether it go any lower. The wage board was was sat. They worked through the pandemic. And this was their recommendation. And we adopted that in uh, early 2023. So good news for farm workers. When they work overtime, they will, they will be paid accordingly. 56 hours this year, In 2026, January 1st, 2026, it goes to 52 hours. In 2028, it goes to 48 hours. In 2030, it goes to 44 hours. And then finally, in 2032, it stops going down at 40 hours. So they'll be the same as other workers in the state. So as the wage board put together these recommendations, they were soliciting input, and that input basically ranged from this will be the greatest thing since sliced bread to the agriculture economy is going to collapse. How, if at all, do you monitor the impact of this threshold so as to gauge the impact on farm workers and New York's agriculture economy uh, more broadly to determine if this is working or if it needs to be paused? That is a great question. We have a terrific research team here at the DOL, and they keep their eye on all these kinds of impacts across the state, and they definitely will be monitoring this as well. I want to point out that, you know, Governor Hochul signed into law. uh, She's very aware that agriculture is a huge industry for New York State and that farmers were concerned. So she wanted to make sure they could ease their way into this change. So she signed the Farm Employer Overtime Tax Credit last year. And that will provide a credit of 118% of additional overtime paid as a result of this phase in. So they get a tax credit for that. 
And this credit will be active through 2032 for the entire period of the decreased overtime phase. And so this will give them time to adjust their markets, to adjust their, you know, their staffing to adjust. Agriculture is going through a lot of changes. There's a lot of new tech coming into agriculture. So it's going to be very interesting for the next number of years to see how all of this plays out. We work very closely with the Farm Bureau and with the farm communities to try and help recruit workers and campaigns to encourage young people that, you know, these are great careers. As I said, farming is becoming very high tech and they need tech workers on these farms as well. Um, The governor is very proud of of our agricultural business here. We don't want to do anything to hurt them, but we're also very aware that these workers needed to be treated fairly the way everybody else was. So it's possible that small businesses, especially without an HR department, might not keep up with all the changes that we talked about. And then there are also the uh, unscrupulous employers who won't keep up with the minimum wages or the OT threshold for more nefarious reasons. So is the Department of Labor bracing for an influx of wage theft complaints in early 2024? Well, I don't know if it'll actually increase. We're always aware when there's a change in pay scales that we have to pay attention and we know who some of the usual suspects are, I should say. Um, so we'll be keeping an eye on that. But my inspectors are busy every day. We, you know, we follow up on every wage theft allegation that comes in the door. And is the department still doing proactive outreach about all these changing components, whether it is the minimum wage or something like the OT threshold or even the other ancillary items like the salaried worker threshold? Do you guys do proactive outreach? We do. I'm very avid about communicating. And, you know, I I always tell my staff there's no such thing as over communicating on these things. So we have a very robust social media outreach program for all of it you know, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all that kind of stuff. And we also work directly with employers. We give them, send them notices. We have a business newsletter that goes out every month to employers who sign up. So it has all the news about this and tips about, you know, how you can handle the changes. Uh, Our business service reps in the workforce development area go out and work with businesses and help them figure out the new regulations as well. And, you know, we work with other, uh, uh, outside organizations, you know, the the business council, the retail council, all those kinds of organizations to make sure that their members also get the best information as quickly as possible. Well, sticking with the enforcement arm of the State Department of Labor, can you talk about the ongoing effort to crack down on child labor violations, which were reportedly on the rise in 2023? Yes, a very sad increase. And that's not just in New York State, that is across the country. You've probably seen some articles and some major newspapers about it. Uh, last year, Governor had a youth worker protection plan that she announced, and we now have the youth worker pledge. This is the second phase of getting employers involved in protecting the well-being and rights of their young workers who are under 18. People don't realize often, and we help them, you know, we, we always work out, reach out to employers to make sure they understand these laws. Minors under 18 may not work more than eight hours a day and they cannot work more than six days a week. Minors 14 and 15 may not work more than 40 hours a week. 16 and 17 year olds may not work more than 48 hours a week. So that's very limited. And minors of any age may not work during school hours at all, unless they've graduated or they've withdrawn officially from school. We are very, very dedicated to making sure these laws are enforced. 
There are specific hazardous jobs that they cannot work if they're under 18, the food processing, manufacturing. I know that there's been some TV news stories about very young people working in the roofing industry, which is very dangerous. That is totally not allowed in the state uh, because it's just, they're too young and um, we wanna make sure that they're protected. So between 2021 and 2023, we saw a more than 290% increase in child labor violations here in the state. We have a child labor case data dashboard on the website. You can actually track it yourself. Now, some of that increase, I think, is because increased awareness because of all the national attention to this issue. Uh, but again, 290% increase is staggering. So we have a youth worker pledge, encourages employers to educate themselves as to all of these details from young workers and their employees so they can prevent violations. The best thing is to prevent it from ever happening in the first place. Businesses statewide are already beginning to take the pledge. There's more to come. And it's pretty easy to do. All they have to do is complete an application where they attest to several practices that protect young workers. And once they've taken the pledge, employers receive a sticker to visibly demonstrate their commitment supporting youth workers' rights. So I urge everybody in your local stores, look for that sticker. And if it's not there and they employ young people, ask the employer, Are you, have you taken the pledge? Because that's a great way to get people to do it. We also launched an online complaint form to make it easier than ever to report violations. Uh, we have an online child labor hub, and that's a one-stop shop for young workers, their parents and employers can find the resources they need to help them navigate and understand these labor laws. And additional resources, these are kind of fun. We included for employers, interactive scheduling templates. There's a sample work schedule. There's a color coding schedule guide and an online, several online training videos to help them comply. Because again, we'd much rather help somebody comply than go after them for violations. Um, this work continues alongside the governor's child labor task force that continues to meet regularly as well. And they're producing results too. That's a coordinated interagency collaboration. And we're working collectively to find new ways to enhance enforcement of laws designed to safeguard the youngest members of our workforce. We're not against young people getting experience at work. I think that's a great thing to do, but we want to make sure that they're protected and they're safe and it doesn't intrude on their school hours. So that's why we have these laws. If anybody has any questions, they should go online, look at the site, go on the hub. And, you know, if there's more that they want, send us a message and we'll be happy to go out to the business and sit down with them. So when it comes to enforcement of violations and the types of illegal activities you're going after, do you prioritize certain crimes, I guess, or violations as opposed to others that might be a 16-year-old who's loading up on shifts at the ice cream stand in the summer? I mean, so do, do you like try to differentiate? In many respects, we're a tips-driven uh, inspection agency. So obviously when people send in complaints, we follow up on those right away. And we work with those industries in general to make sure that they understand what the issues are. I know at the beginning of the summer, we do focus on the summer employment, definitely the ice cream shops, the county fairs, all those kinds of things. Reach out to those employers and make sure that they know what their responsibilities are. Every year for the state fair, I go out a day early and we have a big meeting with all of the employers, the vendors at the fair. And one of the things we talk about is child labor laws and to make sure that the kids, the young people that are working at their exhibits are doing it correctly. So we do know 
you know, the 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 parts of the of of the employment picture that need attention at particular times of the year. And and we also work closely with schools, with parents groups, and obviously with employer groups. And finally, on the child violations front, how do you go after the illegal operators, especially, say, the influx of migrant children who might be partaking in the underground economy right now? Across the board in wage recovery, that's always an issue. People who decide for a variety of reasons to work in the cash economy are putting themselves very much at risk. Usually, if they're working for cash, that means their employer has no business records that we can look at, and it makes it much more difficult for us to go after them because there's no records. You know, they don't have pay stubs. They're not taking deductions. But, you know, that's, that's actually part of our inspection duties every day, whether it's a young worker or an adult. Uh, I always urge people, try to work on the books. That is the safest and best and, frankly, most legal way for you to do it. And, you know, there's a current fiction that everybody's an independent contractor. Well, no, everybody's not an independent contractor. And if you think that your employer is asking you to work on attending 1099 and that's not appropriate, let us know. Because there are definitely jobs that are not independent contractor jobs. And we want to make sure people are protected and are paid correctly. Well, unfortunately, that's all the time we have today. We've been speaking with the State Labor Commissioner, Roberta Reardon. Commissioner Reardon, thank you so much for making the time. Thank you very much and Happy New Year. Join us again for Capital Press Room, a production of WCNY Connected, Syracuse.